And that series has been focused on experiencing Easter. Like, I want to take the stories we've always heard and talk about them. And, and maybe as we talk about them, it helps us to think in a different perspective or a different way at the moments that come through the Passion Week of Christ. The week that really we kind of began with what most churches are celebrating today, the Palm Sunday entrance of Jesus. Um, and so we've been looking at different moments because uh, the verse that's really been the catalyst, it says, I want to know Christ, yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. It's just this desire that, that we know Christ, that we understand his resurrection, that we think about his sufferings and somehow we're becoming like him in, 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 in death, in his death, so that we too can attain the resurrection from the dead. That's the goal. That's the plan. We've looked at moments in Jesus' ministry. We looked at the moment where he was anointed with spikenard, uh, kind of from his head to his toes, and the disciples were upset because it was so much money that was dumped on him. And we talked about Jesus' willingness to be submitted to the preparation. That God had a plan. He had to be anointed with oil because it was preparing him for the death that was coming. And we need to be submitted to preparation. We talked about Jesus' prayers, whether it was in Gethsemane or John chapter 17, what Jesus' passions and burdens were leading up to the cross. The reality from John 17 that his passion truly included you and I. His burden was about us knowing the truth and living in the purpose that, that God had created us, us for, to know the, the full measure of joy, that it could be made complete in us. That's what Jesus prayed about. We talked about um, the, the necessity of us being a part of this story, that weird part in Scripture where Simon picks up the cross of Christ and puts it upon his back. Like, why in the world would that be in there? But, but the picture I have when I see Simon picking up the cross is that God needs me in order for the for the fullness of his plans to be accomplished. I have to be life-giving witness. I have to pick up the burden of the cross myself and carry it so others can know the full measure of what was accomplished. Two weeks ago, we talked about the trials of Jesus, what he endured in this week. We started with Judas and just the betrayal. We talked about the trials, the arrests, the humiliation, the times that Jesus was spit upon, the times that, that he was beat, the accusations he heard, seeing Peter deny him. We talked about the other trials before Pilate and more accusations and listening to the crowds cry out, crucify him, being humiliated with a, a crown and, and a robe placed upon his back, all that Jesus endured. And as we looked at that, um, it took us to Hebrews chapter 12, which for some reason I don't have in my, in my notes, and so I'm just going to read this, unless I've got the wrong sermon up here on here i have the wrong sermon completely on my so you're going to get two weeks ago sermon if i don't get this fixed which is easier said than done we talked about the trials of jesus i'm going to try and preach and do this at the same time in all that he endured and it took us to hebrews chapter 12 um i guess it would have been behind me so i could have just trusted irene there Hebrews chapter 12 is where we ended last or two weeks ago. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything 
that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. We fix our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith, who, for the joy set before him, how did he endure everything that he endured? It was for the joy that was set before him. He endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Jesus made it through those trials because he had fixed his eyes on what? The joy that was set before him. What was the joy that was set before Jesus? The joy wasn't the cross. Actually, it was the cross. The joy was the, the fulfillment of, of God's plan for man. The joy was knowing that, that there would be a way that was coming that we could be forgiven. Jesus endured the trials, and, and I want to pick up with the first thing we see after he endures the trials. Today's message is going to come from Luke chapter 23. So remember, Simon's carried the cross. We did that a little earlier. When they came to the place called the skull, they crucified him there, along with the criminals, one on his right and the other on his left. Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. And they divided up his clothes by casting lots. I'm going to pray, God, we, we need your presence this morning and your anointing. We ask that you would speak to us as we look at your word. We pray for hearts and minds that are in line with you. We ask that we would be willing to submit everything before the very throne of God, that your will could be accomplished in this place. For myself, God, take my words and make them yours. For us, let us hear what your spirit has to say in Jesus' name. Amen. So we talked about the trials. We talked about what Jesus had gone through. And verse 33 says they came to a place called the skull. That's Calvary in some places or Golgotha, whatever translation you're looking at. And they did what? They crucified him there. Now you're saying, Pastor, this is kids' church stuff. I want to note that they crucified him there. And crucifixion, um, it's hard for us because when it comes to capital punishment, it's kind of like a now thing. It's not a long thing. So when it comes to capital punishment, if we said someone went to the electric chair and they electrocuted him there, it means he's dead, right? I mean, literally, he's dead once they did it. But the reality is, verse 33 says, the process of crucifixion has started. Crucifixion, they didn't have to worry about people being upset about people dying humanely then. The idea behind crucifixion was to make it as, as ill-humane or not humane as possible. They wanted it to be a public, a public spectacle for everyone to watch, to learn from. It was like, follow these guys' examples. See what's going to happen if you keep going down the path you're going on. We want you to learn from this. It was a violent Death, that Jesus is being crucified. And what does he do? The first thing we see, they've just driven nails in his hands. They've put nails in his feet. They've, they've stood the cross up on Golgotha. And he says, Father, forgive them. For they don't know what they're doing. I want to look at that prayer that Jesus prayed. I want, to, I want to hone in on the words that Jesus spoke because I think they speak something profound to us this morning. Jesus, the first thing he said was, Father. 
Now, what was Jesus doing in the garden? What do we see Jesus doing consistently in his life or his ministry on earth? He's consistently praying to the Father. Now, there might be something for us to learn in this moment. Jesus is on the cross. He's got a choice to make in this moment. And what he does immediately is he begins to pray to the Father. He begins to literally intercede while he's on the cross. He could do anything. Now, what I, what I didn't mention, so uh, crucifixion, do you know what caused people to die from hanging on the cross? They would suffocate. So I'm going to say, I'm going to suppose, I'm going to propose that your breath was at a premium while you were on the cross. Does that make sense? Like if you're suffocating, you're gonna, your breath is at a premium. Jesus is choosing to open his mouth in the midst of this moment and cry out so others could hear because someone wrote this down. Father, forgive them. The criminals who were with him, they spoke. And they spoke probably the way we would speak. One of them who was with him hurled insults at him. Aren't you Messiah? Save yourself and us. Like if I'm hanging on a cross, like save me. Get me off this thing. If that's something worth using my breath for. Like get me out of this place. I've only got a few of these breaths. Save me. Get off this thing and let me come with you. If you're the Messiah, that's what they do. But the other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God? He said, since you are under the same sentence, we're punished justly. And we're getting what our deeds deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. Jesus took a breath to say, Father. To cry out to God, Father. He didn't have many breaths left. He wasn't going to speak too many more things in this moment, but he chose to cry out to God on behalf of who? Them who had heard him. He cried out to the Father on their behalf. What does it say that Jesus, in this moment, his heart was compelled by interceding for those who he could see, for those who he experienced? Some say this was specifically about the Roman soldiers who just drove nails in his hands, that Jesus is crying out to the Father on their behalf. I'm going to cry out something. I don't know that I'm going to think about praying for others. I might even think about praying for myself long before I'm praying for others. Like, again, God, take this pain from me. Let me feel nothing right now. I'm doing your will, but please just take this pain away. Let me, let me not be uh, drowning in my own self. As Jesus is on the cross, he intercedes. He cries out to the Father. This is literally a fulfillment of prophecy. Isaiah chapter 53, it says, Therefore I'll give him a portion among the great, and he will divide the spoils with the strong, because he poured out his life unto death and was numbered with the transgressors. For he bore the sins of many, and he did what? He made intercession for who? The transgressors. 
This was prophesied in the book of Isaiah that Jesus, this is who he was going to be. That when he was going to hang on the cross, that he would intercede, that he would cry out to God. Intercession, what does that mean? Like stand in the gap for, to go to bat for, to cry out to God for. He's putting himself in that position to cry out for their needs, to recognize their needs and take them before the throne of God. People have been interceding for Greg and Kathy. We, we know what they're going through. We know what the situation is. And so we're taking that need and we're taking it to the throne of God. We're not crying out for ourselves right now. This is about Greg. This is about Kathy. This is about Brady. There's a lot of people that have been doing that. This is, that's what intercession truly is. It's not about me at all. It's about someone else who needs the presence and power of God. It's about someone else who needs to experience the promises of God. It's a very unselfish moment. Jesus, as he was on the cross, he made intercession for his transgressors. So he's praying to the Father. He's interceding. And what does he pray? Forgive them. Jesus prays, forgive them. I mean, I find this compelling. I want to, I want to read this, uh, Greek text. There's a lot of different ways Greek language is expressed, and I was looking at this word, and it's in a tense, and I didn't really know what that tense meant. It's the aorist tense. So the word forgive is in the aorist tense. Tense, sorry. That represents an event as a single whole, without regarding the time taken in its accomplishment. So it's a tense where we're talking about something that will happen or has happened, but time doesn't really matter. We're not looking at the time frame. So we're not just saying, like, forgive, like, as an immediate moment, but it's the fullness of. It's something that is encapsulating the the wholeness of forgiveness without respect to time. Does that make sense? Because I find that profound in what Jesus is praying. Because when I read this, you want to know the first question Pastor Steve asked when I read that. Why is Jesus praying, God, forgive them, and not declaring, I forgive you? Why is Jesus on the cross interceding to the Father to say, God, will you forgive them or allow them to find forgiveness? Not him stating, I forgive you. There's something really deep in that that I haven't fully dug into, that I haven't really figured the fullness of it out. The simplicity of me meant that understood that he recognized the cross was imperative for their forgiveness. Right? Now, this is going to sound weird. You'll track with me a little bit later on another example I have from Scripture. Forgiveness from Jesus to them, the man of Jesus, Jesus was fully man and fully God. It wasn't imperative that he forgave them. It was imperative that they lived in the forgiveness of God that he was dying to accomplish. So it wasn't imperative that he declared his forgiveness. What was more important was that they would recognize the forgiveness that was being accomplished, the whole of forgiveness that was coming through the moment that Jesus was experiencing him. And so his prayer wasn't, or his declaration wasn't, I forgive you. That would just forgive them for the faults that they just accomplished towards Jesus. He wanted them to experience forgiveness. That was the whole, that was everything that they had done. That was every sin, every rejection. Not just the ones that happened to Jesus, but the fullness of what allowed them to be separated from him. 
He practiced what he preached. I tell you, love your, your enemies and uh, pray for those who, who persecute you. He recognized in Matthew chapter 26, when he took the cup, he'd given thanks. He gave it to them and said, drink from it, all of you. This is the blood of my covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. This verse in the context of the aorist tense or the forgiveness that Jesus is praying is profound. Jesus is recognizing forgiveness can't come unless this moment is accomplished. He offered his disciples the cup of the new covenant, which was the blood of Jesus Christ, which was the blood that was going to be poured out for what? For the forgiveness of sins for many. Jesus was recognizing that in this moment, this thing had to happen. This this sacrifice had to take place so that all could be forgiven. And he's praying almost in my mind the same thing. He was offering the disciples like, take from this cup, drink of this cup. This is the cup of the new covenant. This is the cup that says you identify with the reality that your sins are forgiven because of the sacrifice of my blood. That was a teaching that was so hard for some they left. Right? When Jesus started talking about communion, that's when we see one of the most challenging parts of his ministry. Several people left because they thought he was a cannibal. Read it. It's in the scripture. Hebrews chapter 9 talks about this. How much more then will the blood of Christ who through the eternal spirit offered himself unblemished to God, cleanse our consciences from... That's a hard word to say. You come preach this word. Consciences. From acts that lead to death so that we may serve the living God. For this reason, Christ is the mediator. Hmm. He's the intercessor. He's the one in between of a new covenant. That those who are called may receive the eternal inheritance. Now that he has died as a ransom to set them free from the sins committed under the first covenant. In fact, the law requires that nearly everything be cleansed with blood. Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. Jesus is on the cross and he's crying out to the Father. Father, let them recognize the sacrifice that is happening before their eyes. Let them understand what this blood being shed is accomplishing for them. Let them see. Let them know. He's playing, praying irrespective of time. I think he's praying for them after the cross is completed, that they can recognize why he died, that they can recognize why he prayed, that they can recognize why he cried out for God to forgive them. Because this moment was accomplishing the Father's plans. God, let's not make this pointless. God, I'm enduring the cross. This is Pastor Steve's passion version or chosen version. I'm enduring the cross. Let this not be in vain. God, I'm dying. I'm following the path. I'm doing what you've called me to do. I'm enduring the insults. I'm enduring the pain. I've I've dealt with the spit. And I've dealt with the nails. And I've dealt with the, the humiliation. God, please don't let this be in vain. Let them know your love. Let them recognize what you accomplished through this moment. He's... 
so passionate about the Father's forgiveness that he then makes the case. Father, forgive them. Let them recognize what's happening in this moment. I'm going to tell you why. They don't even know what they're doing. They're blind to everything that is. They haven't seen yet. Their ears have been closed. Their eyes have been shut. They haven't yet understood. They haven't come to the place where they could truly no, God, just just forgive them. Let them experience the fullness of your love. Let them process this. Send people in their lives so that they will know. Send people so that, that they can experience. Send people so that they can know what was accomplished. God, please let this happen. Jesus interceding so that they might know. You know, it's interesting because... In my, in my devotion, I said something and I almost deleted it because it could be taken completely out of context. And I'm probably not going to remember the words I used because it was really good alliteration that happened in the moment. Um, but anyway, I talked about how Jesus was more compelled with the Father's forgiveness than his forgiveness and how sometimes that our forgiveness is important. Here's the alliteration. It's important that you and I forgive, Right? I mean, that's what the scripture says when we pray the Lord's Prayer. What do we say? Forgive us how? As we trespass, forgive us as we forgive those who trespass against us. I mean, it's, and forgiveness is important, and I'm not trying to diminish the value of, of, of that kind of forgiveness. And I said in the devotion, it's important that we forgive, but it's imperative that, that people know God's forgiveness. I'm not trying to diminish how imperative it is for you and I to forgive others. And I think it's fair to assume that Jesus is expressing forgiveness for those who he's praying for, right? I mean, uh, he, he has said this in John 15. No, my command is this, love each other as I've loved you. Greater love has no one than this to lay down one's life for his friends, right? I mean, so he's showing that not just for his friends, but for his enemies or his transgressors right now. I think it's fair to assume that Jesus could have declared, I forgive you, and we can read that into what he did. But what was imperative for him was not that they would experience the forgiveness of man, but know the fullness of the forgiveness of his father. It wasn't a forgiveness that was temporary or wasn't a forgiveness that was incidental. It was the whole of forgiveness that was being accomplished through the cross. And he pleads to the Father. He says, Father, they don't know. They have no idea. So please, just let them come to that knowledge. Please, let them recognize what you're doing. It says that Jesus, remember that from Romans, I mean Hebrews, For the joy set before him. For the joy set before him, Jesus did what? He endured the crucifixion. For the joy set before him, Jesus cried out to the Father. For the joy that was set before him, he interceded while he was on the cross. That joy is what? What's the joy that was set before him? It's you. It's me. 
living in that forgiveness that he prayed for. The joy set before him is recognizing that the will of the Father, that the will that none would perish, but that all would have everlasting life. The reality that, that, that forgiveness can only come for sin through the shedding of blood, that, that all of this was accomplished. Jesus endured the cross for the joy that was set before him. He interceded and pleaded the case of the ignorant for the joy that was set before him. I want to know Christ. Yes. To know the power of his resurrection. And participation in his sufferings. Becoming like him in his death. And so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. What can we learn from Jesus? What can we learn in this moment? Yeah, we've got to forgive others. But I want to say I'm, I'm more compelled this morning, not that you're forgiving others, but that you're interceding for others. Because I believe that as we intercede, forgiveness comes in us. I know people have hurt you. I know people have harmed you. But we participate in Christ's sufferings and we become like him somehow in his death. In his death, he was crying out for the will of the Father. Look at this. Acts chapter 7. There's a story that we can read. It's about a guy who was doing what God called him to do. He was following the purposes of God. He was living the life that God called him to live. He was arrested and he was going to be killed. They were throwing rocks at him. Talk about suffering. I mean, we can say, well, Jesus did it. It's easy because he was God. I believe that Stephen's story is the revelation of Philippians chapter 3. I believe that what Stephen experiences in these moments and what Stephen speaks in this moment is the revelation of what we've been sharing, that we're, we're participating in his sufferings. We're identifying with Christ. We're, we're acknowledging the resurrection and the death of Christ so that we can live differently. And Stephen, while they're stoning him, He prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he fell on his knees and he cried out, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. Now, do you think Jesus or Jesus Stephen forgave them? I'll tell you what, you intercede like that. God, don't hold this against them. Tim, if you can come up here. I want to know Christ. I want to know the power of his resurrection. I want to know the truth of this story. I want to know that he came up out of the grave because I will, we will participate in his sufferings. He says in this world, we're going to have trials. There'll be people who step on your toes. There'll be a pastor who says something you don't like. There'll be people you look up to that betray you. There'll be people who who persecute you. There'll be people who, who throw rocks at you, okay? We're going to have trials, but I want to participate in his sufferings. Because it's imperative. 
that they know the Father's forgiveness. That they know it's his will that none would perish. That none included those who persecuted Jesus. That none would include those who put a crown on his head and laughed at him. That none would include those who were, who were looking at him and, and hurling insults at him and saying, prophesy. That none would include the crowd that was crying out, crucify him. That none would include the people in your life who have hurt you, the ones who have betrayed you. God's will is that none would perish. I want you to sing, build my life. We just sang a line in a song that I felt like identified with what God is showing us through Jesus' prayer on the cross. He says, build my life, Lord, right? Lead me in your love to those around me. There's people who need to know the forgiveness of God. There are people who need to experience the fullness of the cross. There are people who need to recognize that they're not defined by their failures, but they want but God wants to define them by his savior. Who's crying out for them? This morning I hope that we can have a moment of intercession. I hope that as Tam leads us in that song that she had sung that God will begin to place life faces in your life. In your mind. And you'll see those who need to know. As Jesus was looking out on the crowd, he saw the soldiers. He knew the one who held the hammer. And he was compelled that they would know the joy of the cross. He was compelled that they would experience the fullness of forgiveness. And he cried out to the Father on their behalf. I'm praying that in these next few moments, God will put faces on your heart. That as you're you're singing or as you're thinking or as you're pondering, I hope he puts some enemies in your life that you can begin to to cry out for and say, God, they need you. Not they need you so they can be better to me, but they need you so that they can experience the fullness of your love and the promise of eternal life that can only be found in Jesus Christ. Father, we come to you this morning. God, my prayer pray that everyone in this room would know Christ. I pray, God, that we would comprehend the power of His resurrection. I pray that we could participate in His sufferings. Because through that suffering came my forgiveness. Through that suffering came a way that had never been made before. Through that suffering came my assurance of an eternal home with you. Through that suffering came the promise that I'm a new creation. Through that suffering came the assurance that no one could define me by my sin anymore. 
through that suffering came the purpose of God for my life. The privilege to be used as a minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ. God, there's more who need to participate in that suffering. God, there's more who need your forgiveness. God, there's more who need to know that you love them unconditionally. There's more who need to know what Jesus did so that they could have life and have it to the full. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Help them to hear. Help them to see. Help them to know. God, I ask that in this room you would lay on our hearts faces. They may be the faces of the ones who have hurt us the most. They may be the faces of the ones that we hold closest to our heart. But those who need to know your forgiveness. And God, I pray that in this room that we can intercede. We can stand in. We can cry out for. For those who need you. For those in our families. For those at work. For those in our community. That need the love of God. In Jesus name. I would say as we sing this. If you want to. Find a place at the altar, you're welcome to. If you want to pray where you're at, you're welcome to. If you want to stand to your feet, you're welcome to. But just let God speak to you in these next few moments. Show me who you are and fill me with your heart. And lead me in your love to those around me. The Lord bless you and keep you. May he make his face shine upon you, be gracious to you, may he turn his face towards you and grant you his peace. And may you intercede like Jesus did. May you forgive like Jesus did. And may eternity be impacted like it was through Jesus Christ. Amen. I'm going to say this. I don't normally do this kind of stuff. If God put a face on your heart, maybe you could invite him to church next Sunday. Our youth are doing church. They're going to do a phenomenal job presenting uh, the story of, of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's going to be an experience for us all. And maybe, just maybe, they'll say yes. Amen? Be blessed.